Can everyone hear me? Awesome. Maybe a bit of feedback. And what a beautiful name the name of the Lord is, and what a powerful name, and the power that comes from the name of Jesus. I'm feeling a little bit more power than normal today. Um, so the kids' story looked at Daniel, and Daniel had a little bit of a problem, and you know some of the other chief priests created a little bit of a tough time for Daniel, and he was in a bit of a crisis. And so we're going to look at something about a, a bit of a crisis as well, and how we can remain faithful in a time of crisis this morning. Now, some of you are probably aware of the work that I do, um, but for those that don't, for the last nine years, um, I've been working with children that, have, that live in out-of-home care that have um, experienced a lot of childhood trauma and abuse, um, and then they reenact that trauma in their behaviours, and we have a lot of crises. Um, and this, these last three weeks have been very very crisis-driven at my work, where we seem to go from crisis to crisis, and um, I was struggling to see whether there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and as I was preparing the message, and as I was in my quiet times and reflective times um, in these last three weeks, I just felt that God was pulling me back to what, what does the Bible say about crisis? And what does God want us to focus on when we're in crisis? Because we're going to be in crises throughout our life. Um, Bad things are going to happen, and bad things are going to happen to good people. And during one of these reflections, I was reminded of a small book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Now, who's familiar with the book Habakkuk? It definitely wasn't the first book of the Bible that I read. It probably wasn't the second, third, fourth, fifth, or tenth book. But Habakkuk's one of the minor prophets, and there was 12 minor prophets. Now, it's important to know that they're only referred to as minor prophets because of the size of the book that they wrote, not because their message was insignificant compared to Isaiah or Ezekiel um, or Jeremiah, which were the, the major prophets because of the size of their books. In fact, there are a lot of valuable lessons to learn in each of those minor prophets, not just Habakkuk. So if you haven't looked at those minor prophet books, I encourage you to do it. It does not take long to read them because they're only a chapter or some of them are only one chapter long. But there's a lot of good messages and truths for us today in all of those books. So as the case is with several of those minor prophets, we don't know a lot about Habakkuk. Um, The reference um, to the impending invasion of the Babylonians means he, he must have lived around that midway through that 7th century to the 6th century BC, because that's when Jerusalem fell in 586 to the Babylonians. So it has to be around that time. And then with Habakkuk being believed to be living in this time, it's likely that he lived in during the reign of King Josiah and also King Josiah's successor, King Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Now, for those that might know a bit more about the history Josiah was a good king of Israel, one that followed and aligned himself with God's will and God's plan. But Jehoiakim, on the other hand, was not a good king of Israel, and he actually led the people into evil. So two very different kings in the life of Habakkuk. So he would have been involved in the kingdom at both. And this this unique contrast in Habakkuk's life is what sets up Habakkuk's message in the Bible. 
You see, Habakkuk's a unique book and a unique mind of prophets. See, most of the other prophets speak to the people from God. Habakkuk speaks to God for the people. And Habakkuk could be broken into five parts. There's Habakkuk's first question, God's response. Habakkuk's second question, God's response. And then finally, a prayer, a prayer of praise. Now, Habakkuk had a couple problems. And the first problem is it's not necessarily what he didn't know about God. His problem actually came from what he did know about God. So Habakkuk knew that God was holy and just and abounding in mercy and wouldn't allow wickedness to go unpunished. That's the God that Habakkuk knew. That's what he knew about God. Yet when Habakkuk looked around at the people in Judah, he could see wickedness has befallen God's people wherever he could see. Wherever he looked, there was something going on. There was a lot, a lot of lollies, a lot of red pegs in Judah at the time. And he was seeing these people thrive in this evil and nothing was being done about it. And then this was a conundrum. This vexed Habakkuk. He's like, but Lord, you are a one that doesn't allow evil to go unpunished. You're a just God. Why aren't you doing anything about this? And how long must this go on before you do something? That was, that was Habakkuk's first problem. And so God responded to him and he said, you know what? I am going to do something about this. I'm rising up the Babylonians and they're going to come and destroy them. And this created another problem for Habakkuk. He's like, but they're more evil than the people in Judah. So why should you let the people, these evil Babylonians who don't know you and do not worship you and do not know anything about you, why should they thrive and flourish when they're evil and wicked? So this was another problem that Habakkuk had. And the bit we want to focus on today is how Habakkuk responds. Because how he responds in this time of crisis that he was having is a valuable lesson that we can learn. See, he was in a time of turmoil, of crisis. His fellow people had turned their backs on God. Turned their backs on what they knew to be right. And then God is actually going to raise up an army to destroy them. So this is, this is a pretty big problem. And starting at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, is where we get a little bit of an indication of how Habakkuk will respond. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on the tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time, It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So there's three key points that I want to focus on here today. And that was firstly, the Habakkuk wanted to watch. He was watching for what the Lord was going to say. I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. Habakkuk wanted to hear from God. He wanted to hear from God desperately. He didn't understand what was going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're doing this, God. But the first thing he did, he he put himself in a place where God could speak to him. 
The analogy of a guard on top of a watchtower portrays that sense of duty, that obligation, that single-minded focus to watch and be prepared for something that's coming. That's what a watchtower was for. You see, Habakkuk would not have been the only person in Judah to be disgruntled or to be a little bit despairing or troubled by the current events. So he probably had people coming to him, complaining. Habakkuk, you need to do something. You need to talk to God. You need to come up with an answer of what's going to happen. But Habakkuk was intentional in putting himself in a place to watch for God getting above that, getting away from some of those distractions. Now, this is where I think we come unstuck today because when we find a time of trouble or a time of crisis, there's so much noise and distraction in our life. You see, we've got, we've got family members telling us what we should do. We've got friends that are telling us what we should do. We've got the news telling us the things that we should do. We've got our doctors telling us things, our therapists telling us things. We can't even turn the TV on at lunchtime without Dr. Phil telling us what to do. I think that phrase, we can't see the forest from the trees, comes to mind. There is so much going on in our lives that we can't actually see what God is wanting to tell us. So we need to be just as intentional at setting ourselves apart, away from those distractions, so that we can be watching for what the Lord is to say. I think of also Elijah, when, he, uh, when the Lord appeared to Elijah in the first Kings chapter 19. The Lord was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. But what was the Lord in? The still small voice, the gentle whisper. Would we actually be able to hear that or respond to that with all the distractions in our life? Habakkuk certainly couldn't, which is why he put himself somewhere where there was no distraction and there was no noise so that he could watch faithfully for what the Lord was going to say. You see, Jesus, on several occasions, he isolated himself to pray and to seek the Father. There were several times he didn't even take his disciples. He, get up, he gets up early in the morning. He goes out on the lake. He goes away from the distractions so he can seek the Lord. On the night of his betrayal, he was praying by himself in the garden because he needed to seek after what the Father was saying, away from distractions. See, being intentional and in making time to watch for the Lord may cost you something. We've made our lives so busy that in order to, to set time aside to seek the Lord and what he is trying to say means you're going to have to, cost, it's going to cost something. You may have to allocate some time. It may give, mean giving up an activity that you would normally do or doing that activity for less time. It will cost you. The other thing we can see here is Habakkuk also had the right attitude when he set himself apart to watch. Habakkuk stood watch and expected God to answer him. I don't think that doubt ever came in there, that God was not going to answer him. But the interesting thing is, it was not just he expected God to tell him what he wanted to hear. It actually says that 
he went up there and was prepared for God to reprove him or correct him. Who likes to be told that they're wrong? Or who likes to be shown up that they're wrong and that they don't know what they're doing? Or who willingly or intentionally would go into a situation where they're going to be told they've got it wrong? It's a hard thing for us to struggle with. You see, Habakkuk had questions and doubts that he'd raised to God about what God was doing. But he didn't stand his watch with the expectation that God would give him the answers that he wanted and God would come down and say, you know what, Habakkuk, you've got it right. I'm just going to do everything the way that you think. No, he went up there with the purpose of being corrected by God. How often do we find ourselves when we spend time waiting on God with a an expectation that he'll just sign off on all of our requests. So we've put the paperwork on God's desk and he's like waiting for him just to sign off on it. Or we've got a to-do list that we want God to do and we're just waiting for him to come through and tick off all the things. And that's how we go to God. You see, when Elijah was, when, when the Lord appeared to Elijah on the mountain, he told the Lord that, you know, I'm the only prophet that's left alive in all of Israel. And, you know, the people that killed those prophets, they're trying to kill me as well. Yet the Lord's first words were, go back the way you've come. Like a month before, Elijah was so despairing, he was laying under a bush saying, Lord, I just want to die now, it's too hard. And then he finally gets up into the Lord's presence and the Lord's first words are, go back the way that you've come. I don't think that's what Elijah wanted to hear at that point in time. You want me to go back where all the other people have been killed for being a prophet? But like Habakkuk, he had the right attitude and was willing to be corrected, moulded and directed by God rather than trying to direct God and do the reverse back to him. So if you find yourself having trouble hearing God, or you have trouble with the distractions of life, you might need to look at what else is going on in your life that's distracting you. Where might you need to go? What might you need to do to put yourself up on that rampart where you wait and you watch for what the Lord will say to you? The second thing that I can get from this passage in chapter 2 is that Habakkuk was told to write down the message, write down the words, Um, he actually orders Habakkuk to write plainly on the tablets in some translations. Now, this is significant because when something was written down, something prophetic, some prophetic record was written down, shared with others and prior to its fulfillment, it makes it testable in the days to come. And this was a common thing. So when the Lord ordered Isaiah in Isaiah 30, he said to write down the prophecy that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. The Lord ordered Jeremiah to take a scroll of a book and write therein all the words that I've spoken to you concerning Israel and against Judah. And so now we've got him ordering Habakkuk to write down everything that he sees when he waits for the Lord. And the fact that he's to write it plainly suggests clear language and legible script that anyone can run with this message and know what it's about. So what does this look like for us today? 
We don't necessarily have stone tablets that we we write things on. But God's message, God's word should be written on our hearts and our lives. Our hearts and our lives. You see, when people look at you, they should be able to see the work of God in your life and through your life. You see, your life is a message to the people around you. There's a popular Christian band that I like to listen to called Casting Crowns and a song they released a few several years ago was, was called Life Song. And the, and the concept of the, of the song is that everything that he does in life should be a song that testifies the work of God. That's his life. And this isn't a different concept. It comes up in the hymns that we sing. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Saviour all the day long. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art. Our lives are actually the message. When we have the word of God in our hearts, our lives are the billboard. Our lives are the things that we run with. That's how we write it down. We already have Habakkuk's message written down in scriptures. We need to actually apply that to our lives. You see, you don't have to have fancy, fancy or theological words. I've listened to several sermons in the past where they've used big, confusing theological terminology. And as an academic, I can kind of grasp that. But it detracts from the meaning. It detracts from the message. If there's one thing this last year's journey through Mark has taught me is Jesus' message was not complex. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That is not a complex message but as a message that can be written on the hearts and lives of Jesus' followers. You see, you may have people in your life that are never going to read a Bible over the next 12 months, but they will work 20 hours a week side by side with you. So where can the message start? It starts with how you live your life, how your life song sings about the glory of God. And what God has done in your life. That's how we stay faithful in crisis. They want you to throw the towel in. They want you to see you in despair and and freaking out because you don't know what's going to happen. But we serve a bigger God than that. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever man may say, we serve a bigger God. And if we serve him faithfully, we will have a message for the world in our own lives. And the last thing that I want to get from this is that Habakkuk had to wait. Habakkuk had to wait. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay Habakkuk had to wait. The answer, the promise, the event, it was not immediate. Now was not the time. You see, our timing and God's timing does not always match up. I don't know about you, but my timing 
doesn't match up with God's very often at all. But God is never late. God has a time and a place for everything, and it has and is and always will happen when God purposes it to. Jesus regularly talked about the hour that he would come in his ministry. All through Mark, he talks about it. All through John, he talks about the hour. The hour has not come. The hour is coming soon. The hour is nearly upon us. God had perfect timing when he sent Jesus. God has perfect timing for your problems and your crises as well. You see, I think this is the hardest thing for us to do. And the way society has changed over these last decades, it's getting harder and harder for Christians to do this step because we are living in the age of instant gratification. Everything needs to be now. Everything needs to be right here. I don't want to wait. I don't want to have to deny myself the comforts of this till the next day or to the next week. I should have it now. And we get so caught up in that focus that we then apply that to God when we're trying to wait on him. God, I should be able to have this now. I'm hurting right now. This is really tough right now. I don't want to wait. When my daughter was younger, she struggled with getting the concept of patience. And we would tell her that um, patience is waiting without whinging. It was the shortened version of how we broke patience down. Is you have to wait for something, but then not complain for the length of time that you're waiting. And this is a test of our faith. Because we tend to give up before the time. We might set ourselves up on the watchtower, but if we don't get a result straight away, we leave and there's an empty uniform sitting up there where the guard should be because we've given up waiting for it. You see, when waiting doesn't serve our self-interests, we get frustrated. We get discontented. We get disillusioned. And the wicked one, the devil, he loves jumping on that. He loves you being impatient. Because it means we're, we're not faithfully waiting. We're serving our own agendas when we get impatient. You see, pride is a driving factor. Um, and it's no coincidence that, that that next verse in Habakkuk is, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just or the righteous shall live by his faith. Pride comes in again. You see, when we, when we don't want to wait for these things or we get impatient, we're wanting God to work to our agenda because we've got all of these plans in our lives. We want God to work to that agenda. And when things don't work out, God needs to get on board with us to fix those problems and not the other way around. We, our technology, we, we, we are so connected and reliant upon our technology like the phones, our mobile phones get more and more powerful every year so that we do more and more stuff through them in the now. Who's ever, who, who remembers going to a bank? I don't think I've actually gone to a bank now in five years because everything's done through my phone. And so we have all of these systems that are getting more and more automatic, 
more and more instantaneous and we're filling our lives with them so that we're always connected to other things and not focused on God, not taking that time to wait on God. You've got, you've got budless earphones now so that you can go anywhere in your house and you're connected to your phone and you're listening to other things and you're still not having that quiet time because you're, we're filling everything with noise and activity that we're not setting that time to wait for God. Because we get restless. But that's not how God wanted us to be. God likes, one of his answers is wait. Yes, no, and wait are God's answers. See, the ending to this, this passage is about faith and faithful living. And Hebrews chapter 10 actually touches on this. And so the, um, this kind of faith that's indicated here is an acknowledgement that God exists. Not just, not just God exists, but that we can live by faith in that God. To act in accordance with the believer's belief, even that it might not seem to serve our interests, we can still follow God. So the person who possesses this kind of faith will be faith, faithful even when times are tough, even when it seems that God is nowhere to be found in your present circumstance. And the interesting thing is people that live with this kind of faith, they don't require evidence of God's love because they live by faith that God loves them anyway without the evidence. See, Israel got into the pattern of wanting to know that God was there and wanting God to do things for them. God wanted them to live by faith that he's already done these things for him. Why do so many books in the Old Testament remind them of where they've come from? I'm the God that delivered you from Egypt. I'm the God that kept you in the desert and did not let your clothes and wear out and we gave you food and water in the desert. I've already done all of these things so that you can live faithfully without needing more signs. I want you to watch for what I want to say. I want you to put that message on your heart and run with it. I want you to wait for my timing. That's what the Lord is saying. And the times are going to be tough. Our immediate circumstances might not get resolved, but we serve a God who is faithful and just. Are you willing to live with that faithfulness that doesn't need the signs, that doesn't need the answers, that doesn't need the situation lifted? Or are we going to get impatient? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says, But remember the former days. When after being enlightened, you endured great conflict of sufferings. He's talking about the Israelites. Partly by being made a public spectacle through, your, through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what's been promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, 
my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, and this should be our testament, we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith in the preserving of the soul. How do you want to run in your crisis? Or next week when things start to get tough? Are you going to go to God with your own agenda? Are you going to go to God with a list of things that you need him to do? Or are you going to watch for what he wants to do, how he wants to correct and approve? St. Augustine was quoted as saying, we pray to God not that God is instructed, but that we're constructed. God uses these times to change us. All the people that come to God and they've come with an agenda or something in their minds, they've gone away changed, turned, challenged in their thinking. Because That's what God does when we put ourselves apart. Are you willing to do that? What things in your life do you need to change so that you're having these times where you seek after God? A few weeks ago in the sermon that I preached, I talked about the renewing of the mind through what we put into our minds because that's what comes out. Are you actively setting yourself there to seek God in his word and meditate on those scriptures so that what's coming out is God's word? That's how we write it on our hearts. That's how we run with it. That's how the people around us know that God had his hand on our life. Here is a child of God. Here is someone that has the preservation of the soul and is living by faith. And that is the challenge I want to leave you with. I want to invite the music team up as we, as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you, you are indeed in the midst of us. No matter how dark our times are or how much trouble we're in or how much overwhelming opposition we're facing, Lord, you're in the moment. Lord, you haven't abandoned your people. Lord, and I pray for my brothers and my sisters here this morning. And, Lord, you know their hearts and you know their lives and you know the things that they struggle with. And, Lord, I pray for a conviction for them this morning. And, Lord, if there's something that you want them to seek you for this morning, Lord, help them set that time to seek after you. And, Lord, if they're struggling to to write that message, to write your love in your word on their hearts, Lord, help them in those moments. Help them to set aside that time for you. And, Lord, convict them into not giving up and to not letting go without seeking after you and hearing from you in those times. And, Lord, I stand against the wicked one and the temptations that he throws our way and the way he paints the terrible picture that we have no way out in our crises. It is not true. And, Lord, I stand against him this morning. And I stand against the workings of, that he may have in any of the hearts here this morning. In the name of Jesus, he will flee. Lord, help your people serve you faithfully. 
and grab hold of that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.